Take your Bibles and turn to two different places, uh, John chapter 20 and Luke chapter 19. We will briefly mention John 20, we'll read that first, uh, John 20, 30, and 31, and then we're going to be looking at Luke 19. But um, this is a great time. I sure have enjoyed today, appreciate Reggie's leadership and the selection of songs and what we have right here. This is, uh, <laughs> this is why we have this week. Uh, what has taken place here, and those of you and maybe others who maybe you didn't feel inclined to come up here, we all have a story in our lives, right? The Lord's doing his own unique work, and he's making sense out of things that sometimes don't make any sense, and he is, he is coming because of this, and he came because of this. On his way to Jerusalem was because of this. He, as he looked at people, he said they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And for those who have uh, brought things here today, uh, let me encourage you to go back into Psalm 23. And there's a passage you're familiar with. It says, the Lord, God of Israel, is my shepherd. And because of who he is, I have everything that I need. But as it goes on, it says, and as I walk through the valley of anxiety, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of depression and broken relationships, and addictions, and family conflict, wayward children, you're with me. And your rod and your staff bring comfort to me. And you anoint my head with oil to a place where my cup is overflowing. <laughs> and you even prepare a table, me, table before me in the presence of these enemies. And my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because the Lord the God of Israel, the great I am, is with me, and I have everything that I need. He is our confidence, he is our hope, and I'm so grateful for what is, this illustrates here today and how it wonderfully fits into why Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on this day. I wanna pray, and then we're gonna look at the, at the word. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity here, Lord, to teach, but Lord, just to be a witness to what we see right here. You know every single story that's here on these cards. You know the ones that haven't been written yet that are still being held in people's hearts. And you came to set us free. And the battle, every battle that's represented here belongs to you, not to us. And you have assured us that you'll never leave us, you'll never desert us, even when we feel anxious, even when we're overwhelmed with worry, even when days look dark. Your rod and your staff, always there to comfort us. And so Lord, I know you wanna take these stories. There are some here, Lord, that you're gonna really set free. There are others that you're going to carry them through and they're going to learn how you are going to use their story in ways greater than they can ever imagine. That's true in all of our lives. And so Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty, mighty work such that when it's done, there is no question who is in charge. There is no question who is working. That you would exalt your name above all names and we would cast our crowns before you, honoring and praising you above all things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, it's good to be here. Well, let's look at this story. In, in this story, we're going to be looking at, which is Jesus' triumphal entry into uh, Jerusalem, begins an incredible week that Jesus knew was coming. Each of the, in fact, this story you'll find in each of the gospel stories. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find this in Matthew 21, Mark 11, uh, Luke 19, and then John chapter 12. 
Now, each of them writes from a different perspective. So if you and I were to be a witness of a common event, we would each share what we saw and what was important to us as we watched it. So Matthew, who was a tax collector, who left everything behind to follow Jesus, writes largely to a Jewish audience. And over, I think it's uh, over 16 times, he writes, and this happened to fulfill what was talked about in the Old Testament. And he does that here. That some of the things that are gonna happen on the way to Jerusalem are actual fulfillment of things that were written hundreds of years before. And he writes this way because as the prophecies have been fulfilled, guess what hasn't been fulfilled yet? <laughs> the last promise in Acts chapter two, or Acts chapter one, that where the angel said, disciples, this same Jesus that you send, he is coming again. He is gonna come in the same manner you've seen him leave, and he is gonna come back guaranteed. Is he gonna take his church with him, and he's gonna reign and rule, and all the things that are prophesied in the Old Testament are gonna come to bear at that time. Mark was a very young man, probably a teenager, and his uncle was Peter, the fisherman. And so he happened to have opportunity to be around and see a lot of this in action. In fact, if you look at, at, at Mark chapter 14, verse 51, just write it down, you'll look at it later. There's an interesting little, little snippet in there that Mark identifies himself as being there in the Garden of Gethsemane, watching from a distance when the soldiers came. It's really funny, and you need to go back and look at it. Luke wasn't there. But he was a companion of Paul, and when Paul was in prison in Caesarea by the sea, which was a, a, some, a place that Herod had built, it was a prison that was there, and he was there for three years, Luke used that opportunity to go around and to meet various ones and to find out um, what really happened, because he had a friend who was far away named Theophilus, and he wanted to write to Theophilus and say, I want to find out what really, really happened, because at that time, there were some stories that were circulating that seemed pretty incredible, and he wanted to know what was really true. So he met various people and got, met with Zacchaeus, met with Bartimaeus, met with people and got their eyewitness report. What did you really see, Mary? What really happened that night when the angels sang and the shepherds came? What really happened? So you get a reporter's viewpoint. And then you have John, who was the youngest of all the apostles. He was a fisherman along with his brother uh, James and had a fishing business with Peter and Andrew and they left their nest to follow Jesus. And John, because of his youth, is with Jesus on many of these encounters. And he writes from a first-person perspective. He was there when Nicodemus knocked on the door. He was there, the woman at the well. While all the other guys were getting subway, he was there. And everything that you, that you, as you read it, you're seeing a guy saying, I was there, I saw it. So look at this passage in John 20, 30-31. John says, this is why I am writing this story. And I'm sharing this with you because this is why Matthew wrote. This is why Mark wrote. This is why Luke wrote. This is why Paul wrote. This is why we're teaching and preaching today is for this very same reason. John writes, he says, therefore, since all of these things are true, there are many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I don't know if you know it, but there's around 35 miracles mentioned in all the gospels accounts. If you add up all the times he healed a leper, all the times he gave someone sight, brought people from the dead, there's 35 of those instances, and John says, I couldn't begin to record everything that I saw. So these stories are handpicked for our benefit, but just know that the stories are not at all limited to what you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he's saying, there's so much more I could have wrote about. But then look at verse 31. 
But these things, these things that I have written about, these are written, see why? Do you see why he says? I've written these so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the appointed one, the anointed one, the, the predicted one, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The reason we're teaching here today is that you might have life in Christ's name, that you might have freedom over the things that are here, that you might experience the living water that he's promised, uh, the, the living bread of life that gives meaning. Uh, all these things he's, we, have, we are writing here and describing here is that each of us here today, and if you're visiting today, if you're watching online today, if you've been far away from Christ, the invitation is to come back to him, to come near to him, to believe that he is the son of God, he is coming again, to give life and salvation to all who believe. That's why these things are being written here. So this story here is not only to teach us, to correct us, to train us, to reprove us, but also so that we might believe that Jesus is all that he says he is. He is the living, living Christ. So with that, now let's look at Luke chapter 19. And while it's in all the gospel accounts, we're just gonna focus on Luke's account here in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. And I'm reading out of the living, uh, I'm sorry, the New American Standard. So just follow me, track with me as best you can as we go through this passage. This is what the Lord says. In verse 28, he says, after Jesus had said these things, referring to the parable that he told just a moment ago, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. So he's leaving Jericho. Uh, Jerusalem's about 6,000 feet in altitude. Uh, Jericho is just a little bit above sea level. It's down by the, sea, uh, by the Jordan River. And the pathway to Jerusalem, it, still today, is through Jericho. And so from Jericho, you start winding uphill until you get to the top. And the Mount of Olives is up there, and he's gonna go to two little villages called Bethpage and Bethany. There's a little valley, and then Jerusalem. In fact, if you're up on the Mount of Olives, you look across the valley, you probably have seen these pictures. You see the big golden dome. You can see Jerusalem and the city as it is today, still there. Uh, so when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, which I just referred to, he sent two of his disciples. We don't know who they were. It's not mentioned in any of the other gospels. So he sent two of them, saying, go into the village, guys. Go ahead of you. Uh, we don't know sure which village, Bethpage or Bethany. They're close to each other. I want you to go there, and as you enter, you will find a colt. That's a baby donkey. And you'll see, if you read the other Gospels, that the colt has yet to be weaned. So it's, it's really young. And his mother, and I was corrected, I had called her a mare earlier. It's a Jenny. <laughs> Is there tied to a post and waiting for something. So you'll see it tied there, which no one yet has ever sat on. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever, any of you ever had the experience of being the first on a horse or on a colt and had a chance to ride it, be the one that broke it in? It's a ride you'll never forget. <laughs> and Jesus is gonna sit on this little colt, this little donkey, and he's gonna ride it for the very first time. And as you read the story, this little colt knows who's on his back. He doesn't buck, doesn't try to run away, doesn't try to offload the weight that now is upon his back that he's never had before. And he's gently led because he is leading the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into Jerusalem. That's why they make the big deal about it that it's a colt never been sat on before because everyone knows <laughs> what happens when you sit on the colt for the first time and it didn't happen to Jesus and tie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, which they will, 
Why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. And so, sure enough, in verse 32, those who were sent away and found it, found this little colt, just as Jesus had said and told them. Verse 33, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, hey guys, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples responded, they said, the Lord has need of it. The owner said, good enough for me. You can see the Lord's already working that man's heart. Just like we'll see here a few days later, he said, going back into town, look for a guy carrying a bucket of water. And the guy, by the Holy Spirit, was being led to set up a room for Passover for some guests that he had no idea who was gonna come. But the Holy Spirit was working, was working in this, the owners of, this, of these animals. So as he was going, they, meaning the disciples, were spreading their coats. I'm sorry, let's back up. Verse 35. They brought it to Jesus, the colt to Jesus, as well as its mother, and they threw their coats on the colt. The disciples threw their coats on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they, meaning the crowd now, the disciples around them, were spreading their coats on the road. What they're doing is giving him a red carpet treatment all the way into Jerusalem. As soon as he was approaching, and that road is a, maybe a, uh, a half mile to a mile long. So there's a lot of coats on the ground. <laughs> and you'll see here where all those coats came from. As soon as he approached, as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives in verse 37, the whole crowd, and literally it means the, an army of people. So we're not just talking about 12 guys. We're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people that we'll see later have come from all over the world are taking off their outer garment, they're laying it on the ground, they're grabbing palm branches, which we'll read about in other places, and they are celebrating the coming of the Messiah. So as soon as he is approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples, the whole army of people began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen, miracles coming up from Jericho even. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Others will say, Hosanna, which is an explanation, Hebrew explanation of praise. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples, shut them up. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these people become silent, the stones will cry. Even the rocks knew what was going on. Verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, wept over it, and I'm not going to read the rest of it, but he wept over it because he can see what's going to happen in AD 70 when the Roman army comes and destroys Jerusalem and it breaks his heart what he knows is about to happen. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for your good work. And so, Lord, have your way with us here today as we just walk through this passage of Scripture that it would fulfill all of its purposes in our lives, that would refresh us, enable us to stand firm, to hold, cling to you, for you truly are the Christ, the Son of the living God who brings life and salvation to all who believe. And we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so let me give you just a little bit of background as we kind of go through this passage of scripture. So Jesus had a destiny to fulfill. What that means is, is that he knew from the very beginning, as, as he was just a little boy, that, that, that he was born to die. He was born to be crucified. In fact, look at um, Luke 19, verse 10. Let's back up to 9. It says, truly salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. He's talking about Zacchaeus. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is why Jesus came. He had a destiny to fulfill. That was in his mind as he was on this little colt riding up to Jerusalem. He knew this was the beginning of the end. We will see later on in the week where he'll be pleading with the Father, Lord, if there's any other way to accomplish this, do it. But not my will, your will be done. You'll see him agonize in the garden. This was not a joy trip for Jesus. He knew what was headed, where, where he was headed. He knew what he was going to face. He knew he was gonna be rejected. He knew there was a trial coming. He knew there was beatings unlike any has ever experienced. He knew all of that was coming. That was on his mind as he's walking up, as he's riding this little colt. Now, nobody else was thinking about that. Passover was a worldwide attraction. People from all over the world had come to be here in this place. How many of you know what happens in Sturgis, South Dakota? Can I see your hands? All right, let me, for those of you who don't know, and I didn't know until a few years ago, my wife is from Ohio. We had a chance to travel to Hawaii, take, uh, Ohio, take our family there. And on the way back, I wanted our family to experience South Dakota and to see Mount Rushmore and all the things that are along that road, having no clue what we were going to encounter. So <clears throat> as we travel out of Ohio, across Indiana, and into Illinois, you start heading north outside of Chicago. And I began to notice, became aware, as we were traveling on the freeway, that I was just seeing... It seemed to be an inordinate amount of motorcycles. <laughs> One particular, I remember this clearly, here's this incredible Mercedes that was probably back a $100,000 car at that time on a, carrying a trailer with a motorcycle on it. And the guy inside of it was probably one of those stock traders, you know, in the Chicago Board of Trade. And here's this guy all dressed up, you know, with his motorcycle. That is really strange. And as we were traveling, as we were stopping a hotel, there would just be a lot of motorcycles were parked there. And then we got to Wall, um, South Dakota, which is an old, old drugstore kind of thing, Wall Drug. And man, there were hundreds of motorcycles. In fact, if you knocked one over, you would have had this domino chain thing of just cycle after cycle falling over. I thought, what in the world is going on? I had no clue until we got to Sturgis. And this little town, which is just a dot on the map, the last census is there's about 7,000 people that call Sturgis their home, swells to 750,000 people. <laughs> Think about that. Imagine those of you who live in Ripon having 750,000 people suddenly show up in town one day. <laughs> or those in Turlock or other places, folks, that is a bunch of people and they take over that town. They literally do. Can you imagine the police department for a town of 7,000 now having to manage 750,000 people? Crazy stuff happens. In fact, we couldn't find a hotel to stay in until we got to Utah. <laughs> just, there was just no place to go. This is what Jerusalem was like. A, a community of about 80,000 people swells to nearly a million people. And they know that from historical accounts of how many animals were being sacrificed on this time, during this time period. People from all over the world in Acts chapter 2 describe 16 different ethnic groups that are there in Jerusalem at that time of Passover and Pentecost. 16. And we get that because the disciples, when they come out, are speaking languages they've never spoken before. And everyone says, How is it that this guy 
this fisherman from Galilee is speaking Italian and I can understand him. How does that happen? <laughs> and, and, and it was from Asia, all across Egypt, all across the Mediterranean, people from all over the world had come. All different skin colors are coming and hearing the gospel in their own language. This was a big deal. And so as Jesus is coming up to this, uh, coming from the, down, from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, folks, there is a chain of people coming up from Jericho who had sailed across the Mediterranean to come to, come to Jerusalem for this season. And there are already thousands of people already in and they're hearing the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And they are just going nuts. They are taking off palm branches. They're laying them on the ground. They're taking off their outer coat. They're laying them on the ground. And this is the dawning of a brand new day. The Messiah is coming. But the crowd's expectations was premature. What that means is what they thought was gonna happen isn't what was about to happen. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11. While they were listening to these things, this is the crowd coming up from Jericho, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and here it is. And they, the crowd, supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So the crowd is thinking, hey, the kingdom of God is coming. Folks, and in fact, they, uh, the disciples were arguing who's going to take the left hand, the right hand, who's going to be the secretary of state, who's going to be the secretary of defense. This, that's what their conversations were about. But here's what they thought was going to happen. They were familiar with the passages in Isaiah and in Daniel that talked about a kingdom that was going to come that was never going to end. This wasn't gonna be like David's kingdom that lasted just maybe 40 years and then another king and then another king and another king. No, this one was always gonna be there. It was never gonna end. Daniel chapter seven, verse 14 says that the dominion is gonna be an everlasting dominion. It will never stop. It was also gonna be over all the nations. All the dominions will serve and obey. So all the nations of the earth were gonna be under the authority of this incredible king. In fact, Psalm 2.8 says, I will give... Uh, I'll give the nations as an inheritance. And so there's gonna be a day that's gonna come. They thought it was coming then. It's yet to come. They're also looking for a day when this kingdom would come and there'd be perfect judgment and peace. For the first time that they would ever experience that justice was gonna be had. Folks, it was not pleasant to live in the days of Jesus as a Jew. You remember the time when the day that Jesus was born? Herod, who was jealous and vengeful, sent his army, and probably, I don't know how many soldiers, sent him down to Bethlehem, and here's what the orders were. If you were a soldier of Herod, I want you to kill every baby boy, two years and older. Grab him out of the mother's arms, run him through with a sword, hack him up, whatever you do, kill every single one of them. And hundreds of little baby boys died that day. Nothing happened to Herod. Nobody put him in jail. Nobody put him in trial. He could do whatever he would want to do when he'd want to do it, you didn't have to have any just strong justification for it. Caesar in Rome didn't care. Caesar in Rome didn't care that a Roman soldier could come and say, buddy, here, take my coat. I want you to walk at least a mile with me. And if you say no, I'll kill you and we'll go to the next guy. Life was cheap. There was no justice. If the tax collector said, hey, this is what you owe me, you had to pay it. And if you didn't, the tax collector, who often was Jewish, had the authority to get a Roman soldier to take it from you. They were looking forward to the day where a king would come and he would rule righteously, fairly, justly. They're looking forward to that day when peace would reign, 
when the lamb would lay down with the lion, when the child could play next to a, a cobra's den and not be afraid. That's what they were looking forward to. That's what they thought Jesus was about to initiate. And they also were expecting, according to Daniel chapter two, a stone that will crush all the nations so powerful that nobody could stand against them. And here's this Jesus. This guy's walked on water. He's healed the lame. He's, he's cured the blind. He has healed the lepers. He's brought people from the dead, Lazarus being only one of them. He spoke to the sky, and the wind stopped just like that, and the storm ceased. And all during the time that Jesus is coming up to Jerusalem, he's telling folks, this isn't gonna be what you think it is. In a few days, I'm gonna face a trial, and they're gonna crucify me but I'm gonna come back to life again. And how does that fit to a king that lasts forever? A dominion that never stops, an all-powerful one. And so when they were seeing their loved one being nailed to the cross, they're saying, what happened? The, the one who could cast demons out is being nailed to a cross, being whipped and being beaten? They couldn't understand it. In fact, John would later would write, in fact, on this particular day, he, John writes, and he says, we didn't get it. We had no clue what this meant until after the resurrection. They, they, they just thought it was gonna be a fantastic news and Rome was gonna be completely defeated. That is what they thought on that, on that day. So why did Jesus come on this day? Galatians chapter four, verse four says that the timing was perfect. That Jesus came in the fullness of time. This was the best time. On this day, when he was 33 years old, this day in all of human history had been prepared for his coming. Psalm 118, verse 24, write that down. Psalm 118, verse 24, says this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the stone was gonna be rejected, the cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made. Jesus came at the most perfect, perfect time. This was the day of the Lamb. Not only was Jesus coming in, but there was another real lamb that was coming. On this day, in this celebration, traditionally on this day, a lamb was brought out of Bethany across down the, down the hill from the Mount of Olives up into Jerusalem, and he would be looked at for about a week to be examined to make sure that this was not a sick lamb. And then on Friday, the night before Passover, at three o'clock in the afternoon, that lamb would be crucified. And all of that was in remembrance of what happened in Exodus chapter 12. On this day, they were remembering a time when anyone who is under the blood of the lamb would be what? Saved. You look at Exodus chapter 12. Over four million people were held captive in Egypt as slaves, and that night, God was gonna set them free. And death was gonna visit every home. And the firstborn of every single home was gonna, was gonna die mysteriously that night. Didn't make any difference how old or young you were. If you were a firstborn, and I'm a firstborn, there was a death sentence on every firstborn by God's word. And on that night, if you were not under the blood of the lamb, you died. Pharaoh's son died. His servant's son died. Everyone who had a firstborn son died that night unless 
you were covered under the blood of the Lamb. And every year, for over 3,000 years now, they remember what happened in Exodus chapter 12, and they remember the blood of the Lamb. And on this day, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, was coming into Jerusalem to be inspected and to be crucified, and he will die at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, placed into a tomb, nothing happens on Saturday, and then Sunday comes, and we're here because Sunday came. We are here because Sunday came. The road up to Jerusalem is great. The crucifixion, by God's grace, his blood that was shed on the cross saves us from all sin, but until the resurrection came, none of that made any sense. We are here because of the resurrection. I encourage you to come back on Friday. We're gonna talk about the crosses on Friday because there's a story in each of those crosses. But on this day, Jesus came to fulfill all of those things. Timing was perfect. So on this day, Jesus presented himself as God's lamb on our behalf. He was carefully examined and he was found faultless. And because of all of that, he becomes our mediator between God and man. There's a passage in Revelation chapter 12, verses nine and 10 that says that we have an enemy of our soul that accuses us day and night before the Father. He has a lot to say, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, Satan knows, knows you better than you probably even know yourself. He knows everything about you. And every single day he's up before the Father and he accuses you of your sin before the Father. And it says he is defeated, three things, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of our testimony, because we do not love life more than death. When we come to the place in our life where we can say before the Lord, Lord, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. And we can say for me to live as Christ and die as gain. The enemy has no, nothing in his toolbox for us. Amen. He can't extort us. He can't twist us. He has no strings attached to us when we come to that place because the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and we do not love life more than death. Isn't that cool? That was really good. God is good. So he came to present himself as our mediator. He stands before the Father on our behalf as a defense attorney and says, Lord, I died for that man. I died for Bill. I died for Robert. I died for Nancy. I died for Melinda. I died for Cindy. I died for them. Their name is written right here in the book, the Lamb's Book of Life. They're covered under my blood. And yes, while they are guilty of those sins, I paid the price for their sins and they are set free. So Jesus' motivation, why he went the distance, why he went to the cross, why he allowed a Roman soldier to nail him to this cross is so that we might know the Father. You take Jesus out of the picture, you're gonna have some weird ideas as to what God is like. If you go to India, you'll see all different versions of what God is like. If you go to the Muslim world, you'll, you'll hear a whole different version as to what God is like. Jesus came to show us what the Father is really like. He came to demonstrate the Father's great love for us. Paul says that God demonstrated his great love for us, that while we were sinners, while we were the furthest away, Christ died for us. That's what he did for us. He came to show that to us. And he came to remove every offense and every shame so that we might come to know him. You know what the Lord is looking forward to? He's looking for the day when we all step out of this life into his 
arms, and we hear from him say, welcome home. There's a wonderful promise in Romans chapter eight, verse one. It says, there is now therefore no condemnation, get this, to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're under the blood of the lamb. Catch every word of that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who are under the blood of the lamb. And so here's a couple questions for you. If you were to stand before Jesus and you were to have an encounter with him, what would you say to him? What would you say to Jesus if you were to say, see him? There's a great story of Thomas who when he heard that Jesus rose from the dead that, that day on that Sunday, he wasn't there. He wasn't there that night. I don't know where he was at, but by God's sovereign appointment, he wasn't there. He wasn't there because of me. We, after Monday, when Monday arrived, they were saying, Thomas, you missed it. You missed it. You should have been there. Jesus showed up. We ate fish with him. He talked to us for a while. He's alive. And Thomas said, you guys are just stupid nuts. You must have had too many candles going on in that room. Until I see him and until I put my finger in his nails and his side, you guys just... I know it's just smoking, but it's not good. <laughs> sure enough, a few days later, Thomas is there with the guys. And Jesus shows up. And guess who Jesus goes to? Hey, Tom. Here, we gotta work something out here. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom, touch it. Just touch it. There, touch it. Thomas falls on his knees and says, oh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Tom, Thomas, you see and believe how much greater it is to those who have never seen and believe. That's what this is all about right here today. So if you were to stand before Jesus and you were to have a conversation, what would you say to him? But more importantly, what would he say to you? What would he say to you? I love that verse in Romans 8.1. To know that the first thing he would say to me is, hey, let's talk about this stuff. Because under the blood of the lamb, this is all washed away. Whatever sin might be mentioned up here. There's no, for, no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, what you'll hear is welcome home. Welcome home. We don't need to talk about this stuff. It's all been covered under the blood of the lamb. Welcome home. Hey, remember when I said, I go to prepare a place for you? Let me show you what I've been working on. Remember when I said that a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus has a reward to it? <laughs> Let me show you what that uh, change of the tire the other day was worth when you went out of your way to help that neighbor, when you gave a cup of cold water to the roofers of your house, when you did this in my name, when you did this, when you served in the nursery. Let me, let me show you what that meant. And then there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has in store for those who love him. Now put those two together. Because no, if you are a George Lucas, you can't even imagine what God has in store for those of us, for, for those of us who love him. Catch that, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind has imagined 
but God has a store for those who love him. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Man, if you're far away from Christ, get close. His arms are open wide. There's no condemnation to any who come to him. We're gonna close in prayer in a moment, and if you'd like prayer today, there'll be some folks in the prayer room right over there, men and women to pray with. They'd love to pray with you. It's not a gossip session. It's just a time of, boy, casting all of our cares before the Lord. My wife and I will be right here. I'd love to meet with you, greet you. But folks, this is good news, right? This is a good news story. I'm so glad Jesus went the whole distance, aren't you? So glad that he, while he knew I was coming, he went the whole way for you and for me to show us the love of the Father. Isn't that good news? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good work. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you that all of these things are at the cross. This is why you came. You've seen us being distressed and downcast. You've seen us like sheep without a shepherd and you've stepped up to be the shepherd of our lives. And when you are, we have everything that we need. You lead us into green pastures. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you carry us in your arms like a shepherd carries a little lamb. And you take us through the other side and you fill our cup full of oil running over and goodness and mercy will be upon us all the days of our life and we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And for that's gonna be a wonderful, wonderful day. Until then, Lord, we wanna live for you. Until then, we wanna serve you in our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We wanna be your people looking forward to that day when we see you face to face. So bless us, heal us, lead us, direct us, strengthen us, encourage us by your mighty power in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. amen. Lord bless you.